Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm here today for another episode of Page Tune with P.L. Stewart. And uh, we'll go around the around the room and introduce everybody. But we're here today with Thomas Howard Riley and Mark Timoney. We'll be talking all things fantasy and writing and all sorts of stuff or whatever else comes up during the conversation. So, P.L., you want to kick us off with an introduction and tell us about your awesome new book and how great the, the release is going. Oh, thanks so much, Steve. Honored to be here. Uh, wouldn't be here without Steve. This is his channel, and I'm very grateful that he's he's uh, asked me to co-host this amazing uh, podcast. Uh, P.L. Stewart here, author of A Drunk Kingdom and the Last Hit of the Atlanteans that just came out. Um, you know, things are going well, and again, just happy to be here and to participate with these with Steve and these two fantastic authors who uh, you know I admire, and their books are high on my TBR. But I'll let them I'll let them talk. Mark, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Well, my name is Mark Timoney. Um, I am the author of The Blood of the Spear, book one in the Eye of Eternity series. It's um, kind of classic fantasy, two half-brothers destined by prophecy to save the world. Um, and not really wanting to have anything to do with that. They have their own plans, their own dreams, um, and having to survive... Uh, lots of different factions, um, either wanting to control them or see them dead. Um, I'm an Aussie, so it's uh, Sunday morning here in Sydney. <laughs> happy Easter, those of you who uh, celebrate it. Happy Chocolate Egg Day to those who don't. Um, and I'm really excited to be here talking with you guys today. I'm going to use that Chocolate Egg Day. I like that. And uh, our friend Thomas is a little under the weather, but he's he's toughing it out for us today, so we'll go easy on him. But Thomas, you want to tell us about yourself in as, as few words as possible so you don't... Yeah, sure, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me out, you guys. Uh, my name is Thomas Howard Riley. I'm the author of We Break Immortals. Uh, it's a uh, very chonky, epic fantasy, uh, dark as hell, but funny. Uh, basically, uh, I call it rated R epic fantasy. And That's apologies for my voice today because it's just out of control. <laughs> I, I think you have a, I do have a little people. helper here who's helping me out. Oh, oh. So I think you might find there are some people who like your voice who will ask you like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might get out to family after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys are, um, I, and when I say your books are uh, high on my TBR, <laughs> They're hired a lot of people's TBR and, and obviously getting some rave reviews. Um, I love the chonkers. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I love reading big, big books. I cannot lie. <laughs> I like big books. Uh, so, um, you know, I have, I, I'm, I am very much looking forward to, to reading yours. Um, I guess the one thing, and, you know, uh, I want to ask both of you and, you know, sparing Tom's voice, of course, um, you know, you've built up a reputation as being phenomenal world builders. I really appreciate world building uh, in my novels. So is that something that was really important to you in crafting or crafting a fantasy novel? Or is that just more or less something that, you know, um, you know, you, you, you intended to make something that was immersive, but then you got into it and you kept, oh, well, I want to make it more immersive. And you kept building from there. Like what, what was your strategy for, for your world building? Um, Personally, I'm I'm a geek for world building. I love it. Um, the more world building I can find in a story or a novel that I pick up, the better. Oftentimes, I will forgive any 
lack of characterization or character development in a story if the world itself is the character and I'm like Mm. fully involved in it. So um, that was kind of how I started with mine. I was like, yeah, I want to write fantasy. Like I'd started reading Dragonlance back when it first came out. I'm aging myself here. Um, And it was kind of, that was my entry to... um, epic fantasy or even sword and sorcery and i was like this what this was amazing this was like all my daydreams you know on the page it was and i got lost in those worlds and when i decided i wanted to write my first thing was like well i need a world i need to start building all this stuff and it just went from there um so um when i when i started uh thinking about the eye of eternity series or the world sobia that it's set in um even before i had an actual story to write within it i was building the world i was building the history the the realms um uh defining them um giving them their own quirks um and then layering so (laughs) while i don't know specific details of every epoch before the one that we're currently in um, in the world now I have points and timeline points at any given time I can like all right let's go into there and let's start pulling out exactly what was going on I know over um, overarching uh, timelines and 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 history historical points details not so much but that's part of the fun for me in writing is it's again it's also how I, I don't plot i don't do detailed plot outlines i do a broad map and then i discover the terrain as i go along um so yeah <laughs> world building world building world building it's just like yeah something i, I love can't stay away from it and uh, andrew says blood of the spear is like steve steven erickson writing the eye of the world <laughs> well that's <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> thank it's you a big compliment there. Wow, it is a big compliment yeah. Um, Eye of the World or Era Jordan was a massive, massive influence for me in the type of story I wanted to write um, and the type of world building. And then obviously um, Malazan's been um, one of my favorite um, series as well. Um, The world building in there is massive and complex and mind blowing. So yeah, any (laughs) comparisons to either of those, I'm like, yes, thank you. And Andrew is also reading both the Drunk Kingdom and We Breaker Mortals in the next three months. He's going indie focused. Thank you. Honored. More Thank indie. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm honored. Hope better. you enjoy it. And uh, we know that our friend Thomas is huge on world building. He's uh, <laughs> is, he's uh, builds worlds that we may never even see. So uh, yes, your, this is very much true. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, am obsessed with world building um not at the expense of the rest of my story not at the expense of you know having character driven arcs uh and and quality stories but i have to have world i'm just like i'll go on binges where uh i will but in between actually writing i'll just go off world building you know making up places cultures notes family trees 
you know, I've, I've talked with Steve about this before. I have, I have lists of character names for books that aren't going to be written until like 2025. So <laughs> it's, uh, I feel uh, you. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm definitely big on the world building and it's it, it like, like Mark said, it's just very important to me to have a whole world. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, reading uh, uh, nonfiction history books and just, knowing that there's all this weight of history leaning into the events that are happening in the moment um, enhances the things that are happening in the moment for me, you know, in, in, in uh, fictional worlds. So I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm a, a lore maniac. So I, I have read the appendices at the back of return of the King more than I've read return of the King, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> Like, like, I, me, I, man. I'm with like you. I, uh, I, I have a, like a timeline chronology of the forgotten realms, you know, going through just a, just a timeline chronology, not many stories, just the, the things that happened. And I like to flip through those things. So I'm kind of obsessive about it, but, um, I, I just really feel like it can impact a story in a positive way. Like it can really, it, when done correctly, it can really immerse you and, and immersiveness is, is, uh, uh, important to a story because it helps capture you and keep you in that story and keep you wrapped up in it. Hmm. And Mark, how do you keep track of your of your worlds that you build? Do you do you use spreadsheets or notes or do you leave it in a vault that has a big lock on it? What, how do you how do you keep track of it? I've got spreadsheets basically. Um, I've looked at using um, things like uh, what is it? Uh, one note or something like that um i've even looked at like some online programs i can't think of their names off the top of my head but there's some fairly big ones that um uh dnd players or gms use um but at the end of the day uh, it's basically like i was saying before i work best when i don't fully flesh things out on paper and work from notes. So as long as I've got the notes um, and spreadsheets work really well for that, I'll just put the note in and it'll be like, oh yeah, it's as soon as I read it, it's like it triggers the whole unspo unspooling of idea in my head. It's the same with, <laughs> with my map. I've got like all these places um, on the map that we won't visit in the series. But if I had to, I just look at the name of the place on the map and I'll be like, oh yeah, no, it's this. And then, you know, uh, I think about the realm that it's in and the political powers and the factions that are involved there. And it's like, yep, it's this, 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 and this, and this fits here and this works there. And it's, I don't know, it, once I've got the, uh, I guess the, the, um, the template of the world in my head, it becomes easier to start fitting things in and understanding the the repercussions and how it all connects. Um, so yeah, as long as I've got notes on the spreadsheet, um, I've got little tabs for different factions, details for um, the um, uh, hierarchy and the names of things, um, specific timeline events, um, and a full <laughs> a full glossary for characters. Um, and character names and where they get used or have been referenced, which becomes a thing. Um, 
yeah, it's spreadsheets, basically. Yes. And uh, I was an, Andrew said was waiting for a, a campfire sponsor. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that one. I don't know. There's another one that I can't remember its name. It doesn't matter. But um, it's got a lot of YouTube videos up um, and different. I think one of the things that um, stopped me using those was that my intellectual property would be locked behind a paywall then if I stopped. Mm paying for it, it's a little bit more difficult to get it all out. So I didn't want to um, start creating all this stuff that I had to access, <laughs> had to pay to access. So I was like, you know what? I'll just use my plain old spreadsheet. It's not very pretty, but it does the job. It's effective. So I have a question for really all three of you, but as you know, as a reader, when you have this big, huge world that you're building and you have it all plotted out and you have it planned out for years in your, in your minds or your in your documents or spreadsheets, how do you know how to roll it out to a reader? How do you know when to, because you know it so well, how do you know when to pull back or when to reveal more of the world through the series? So how do you, how do you deliver it, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask to the reader. Do you have any methods? Thomas, go. Uh... Um, well, it, it's, I, I know it when I, when I feel it, basically. Um, there, that, you know, I, I kind of have it, uh, the, the further in the future stories go, the fuzzier it is, uh, the, the less things are nailed down. Uh, so I'll know maybe a certain event will happen or a certain pair of characters will meet somewhere down the road, but I won't know how, and I won't know what their interaction is going to be like, whether they're going to be friends or enemies at that point, things like that. The, the closer to where, what I'm working on right now, the more concrete things get um in in what i'm planning um but even in books that i'm working on uh my outlines are never fully concrete kind of like to what mark was saying i i do pre-writing where i th where i think out in my head you know what i what i want to have happen and what would be interesting to have happen and then just from there i just have like a very loose outline uh, of what's going to happen. I don't know how the conversations are going to go. I just know that I want some characters to have a conversation and then I'll, I'll see how that plays out and, and arrange things from there, depending on what I want to do. Um, as far as the, the exposing the world itself, um, I mostly sprinkle in things, um, for the most part, uh, because it just, you know, I, I follow the iceberg principle. You only want to show like 5% of what's actually there. Um, obviously there are a few examples in We Break Mortals in particular, where I have to go pretty in depth into things regarding the magic system. Um, not for the sake of showing off the magic system, but because a lot of the problem solving in, in the book relates to how to counteract or work within the magic system to undo what's happening in order to, you know, resolve some of the conflicts and some of the battles. So I do have to go a little bit into detail on that. But um, even then, I, I don't throw everything in there. I mean, I have things on my website and even things in the appendix of the book that go far further into detail uh, regarding the, the magic system than I actually get to in the book. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's mostly just whatever it takes to flavor the story, mixed with whatever information you need to actually execute in the story in that moment. And Thomas, do you ever let your cat decide? 
Uh, my cat does decide the winners of my giveaways. <laughs> so we have a we have a paw placement technique that she uses. So it's the new Bitcoin, I guess. Is she is like she is very attentive to me when I'm talking to somebody uh, on the phone uh, or on speakerphone or anything like that. She uh, wants to know what's going on, who I'm talking to, and what's up. She's very suspicious. <laughs> Rightfully so. Uh, let, uh, let Mark answer the uh, same question. Yeah, sure. Um, well, for me, it was a case of um, my two, the two half brothers, half brothers start in a <laughs> remote village. Um, it's basically they live on the borderlands of one realm and the deadlands. Um, and there's not a lot of. Um, uh contact with the rest of the world so they have their own kind of isolated um little society and as they leave that area and travel through the different parts of the world that they travel through things just organically grow and they become exposed so the reader is becoming exposed at the same time the characters are coming becoming exposed to other parts of the world and other uh, traditions and cultures um, and cities that have, you know, more than 100 people in them and mm. things like that. Um, I remember that um, I think I did that quite well. Um, Jani Wirtz um, read the book and gave me a cover blurb. And one of her comments was that by the time to, <laughs> she'd gotten to the end of the book, her jaw was just like had dropped open from what I'd started with and what I'd expanded to it just kind of blew my mind. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> but to me, it just seemed a natural progression. It's like, well, they start here and they only know this. And as they move and every, the world expands around them, naturally, that's a good place for me to start expanding the world for the reader. Um, I avoided a lot of info dumping due to my editor who was just like no nah, get rid of it it's info dumping you don't need it so i was like oh okay fine i'll wait till later because i had to explain the magic system later on when so you know when people or when characters start learning how to use the magic system we'll talk about the explanation of what's what then um i'll just leave it for the moment and there was a little bit of in some areas there's a little bit of sink or swim I was kind of like, you know, it's epic fantasy. It shouldn't be outside the realm of what you're used to reading. So you can fill in the gaps, but, you know, it has its own flavor. Um, and hopefully I did that well. I, I got a lot of good feedback about organic world building. So, yay. Yeah, using a character as the window to the world building is, is a, a terrific idea. And... Um, I, I have one character who doesn't really know much of anything about the world and other, another character that knows a lot about the world. And so a lot of it is the one character explaining it to the other one as they go through. Um, and I always try, even with the magic system, in most cases, uh, uh, I try to uh, keep information about that tied into what they're doing. So like yep. the character will be 
investigating the magic and looking at what happened and what was done with it. And he'll be explaining it to other characters who don't know anything about it, what, why he's doing what he's doing and why it's important what he's doing um, in that moment. So I try to keep, keep uh, those situations um, at least somewhat interactive and uh, so that you can, um, so it's not straight info dumping. It's, it's uh, uh, characters playing off one another so that there's still that dynamic of characters that you can play with where, where they're still um, exploring the relationship of the characters, even while they're detailing information to each other. So one character can explain uh, the, what's happening and the other character can say, oh, that's interesting. Or they could say, okay, that's the fourth thing you've explained to me. I'm getting bored. When can we get out of here? I need a drink, you know, things like that. So you can, I, I like to do it that way where you can play with the character relationships at the same time as, as delivering information. But again, it's mostly for magic system for what Mark was talking about, about, uh, the, the straight world building. I prefer to keep that uh, as as much in little sprinkles as possible, little snippets of conversation, uh, things people are talking about to to keep it like he was saying more organic feeling and less like you're reading a passage from an encyclopedia all of a sudden in the middle of the book. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite. Learning through the character's eyes is what what I usually latch onto most. And just really quickly, Mark, uh, as far as blurbs go, this would be a good blurb. I don't know if you can discuss that with Andrew, but. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta say, man, if if uh you know we if I'm not sure if, if uh Thomas and uh Mark are aware that we had Jenny Wirtz on um on our on page yes. chewing. Uh and and she, uh, she is I I I I worship her writing and, and to have uh to have an endorsement from from Jenny Wirtz, who I think a lot of people would would say she's she's almost peerless in terms of, of world world building. Yeah, um, definitely. I think I think that's a pretty big, big compliment, uh, Mark. So yes, so huge. You're, you're yeah. Huge. So um, I I I think with my world building, I um, you know I I I do a few different things. I mix and match um, because the first novel focuses a lot on my version of Atlantis, and and you know no spoilers there. It ends up sinking. Um, you know, there's a lot of world building in terms of giving you the background of of, of Atlantis compressed in a in a in a whole part the rest of the world building is a lot more organic throughout the rest of the novel but i have a first person pov with a flawed main character and you see the world exclusively through his eyes so that's why um you know my world building may feel a bit different because you know you know things are missing you're not quite sure what but um you know that's part of 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 you know i, I hopefully the intrigue of how i write uh, for me because i have 20 books planned in the same universe, some of them being prequels where, you know, um, there's characters that are referred to in, for example, a John King, the last Atlanteans that um, they're going to be books about those characters. They're historical characters that are referred to in the book that are, you're going to go back centuries in the future, in my future books and see were these people really the way the, the character in the, uh, in the John kingdom saga saw them and they're not going to be, um, you know, so it, it, that's a lot of, that's a lot of the, the the kind of little tricks that I play with the world building in terms of exposing the reader to it. But um, but while we're on that subject, um, so we talked about Jenny Wirtz, you know, she's uh, to me like my top world builders, you know, uh, among them for sure, Jenny Wirtz, George R. R. Martin, Tolkien, right? Like there's many other great ones, but those are ones that really come, come to mind in terms of uh, their craft. 
Um, who are for 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 Mark and Thomas? Who are some of your your favorite you know world builders that you find that you know? That's a good oh question. well, certainly those ones. Uh, but uh, I was a big fan of uh, Dragonlance series, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Um, and that kind of is what sparked my whole world building thing that combined with Tolkien, obviously, um, is the idea of having a huge world where, where, um, your no single story is going to be able to contain everything that happens in that world. And, and, uh, that is kind of what inspired me to want to make, um, a kind of a self-contained franchise world where I will have different stories uh, involving different characters, maybe in different time periods, maybe in the same places or different places. You don't know. Um, and obviously they'll all be connected in the fact that they're part of the same history, part of the same, the same world, but they may have characters that may not ever interact with each other. And so I, I'm like, like UPL, I'm going to have uh, a lot of books in, in, in the series that may not even be part of the main storyline, the main series. Um, but, you know, obviously they'll have little Easter eggs and things to connect them and whatnot, but, you know, but by and large, it's going to involve, you know, maybe something that happens 20 years before the characters in this book, you know, were born uh, or 500 years before or a thousand years before or 500 years after, you know, things like that. Um, and, and that's kind of the main inspiration for what I wanted to do kind of just in a general way with my world building was from Dragonlance, but, um, uh, writing wise, storytelling wise, I've been inspired by, uh, George R. R. Martin, uh, from a, a technical aspect of it, like, uh, how to manage uh, multi POV, uh, the storylines, how to manage uh, lots of characters that don't interact with each other in a large world um, and how to do that economically. Um, a big fan of Brandon Sanderson because uh, we, you know, I, it, minds that think about uh, magic systems tend to think alike. So I, uh, I, I enjoy his stuff as well. Um, Robin Hobb, I'm a huge Robin Hobb fan. Uh, uh, Jack LeCary, uh uh, who else? Oh, I've just started reading uh, Joe Abercrombie recently, um, and I get a kick out of that because his uh, uh, some of his humor uh, is, is some of his dry humor is, is similar to some of the dry humor that, that I tend to write. So I kind of uh, uh, am enjoying getting to finally get into his world as well. Yeah. So um, obviously. Uh, Janny Wurtz was a big influence for me. Um, Raymond Feist, um, so Magician, the Riffle Saga. Um, I first came across Janny's writing um, when she paired up with him to do the Empire Trilogy, which blew my mind. I thought that was, that's still today one of my favorite trilogies ever. So then I went to find everything that she'd ever written <laughs> um, and just have been following her ever since. Um, Stephen Erickson, the Malazan stuff. I know he wasn't the single world builder there, but just the the scope um, of what he and uh, Ian Cameron Nelsonmont have done. Um, um, Melanie Ron's Sunrunner series. I thought that was amazing and hugely intricate in terms of how events in the past will then affect. Um, the the events that are playing out in the story um 
the political aspect as well um, in a lot of those, like um, in the Empire Trilogy, the um, George R. R. Martin stuff. Um, there are actually so many <laughs> different writers whose world building has influenced me. Um, Michelle West, I've um, come across her before. Um, Melissa McPhail, um, and she's fairly recent, but her world building has just blown me away as I read through uh, the Sephiroth's Hand or the, the Shadows or the Patterns of Shadow and Light series. Um, Mark T. Barnes, who's written a trilogy called The Empire, uh, Echoes of Empire. Um, he's an Aussie. I've actually become really good mates with him. His world building uh, consistently just astounds me. Um, and then things like, um, I'm a big World of Warcraft player and the like the world building in some of that um, and the wikis and stuff that you can deep dive into. I remember watching um, or listening to a podcast with Chris, Chris Metzen, who was for many, many years the driving creative force behind most of the world building, talking about how they the team would approach the um, building of new expansions and they'd use like a, a triangle type system where you'd have the top, the things that are being focused on in the story there, but then also remembering, well, what's going on over here and what's happening over here at the same time and all that type of um, stuff are things that I've pulled into how I approach world building. Um, Warhammer 40K and the Horus Heresy stuff just blows my mind still to this day and I lose hours reading the online fan wikis about all the history and the different factions and the events that happen. Um, sometimes it's a really, they're really good places to just get a, a whole, um, a big picture overview of something and be like, oh, these are things that I need to consider as I build. Um, I never, I was never a big um, Tolkien reader or fan as I entered um, uh, fantasy reading, um, I certainly appreciate what he's done. Now, I was just never a big fan of the of the actual writing of the of um, Lord of the Rings, but I think his world building's amazing. So I think I'm probably more influenced by people who were influenced by him, um, as opposed to have been, you know being influenced by the grandfather of epic fantasy directly. <laughs> <laughs> and i wonder does does being a uh, a student like does being a fan of history is does that in world building this all this history and looking into wikis and reading the looking into all these different family lineages and all this stuff that's not in the book does it does that go hand in hand is that typically or are all of you fans of history in general yeah you just my my minor in in university was was history it was medieval was, you know in medieval english with a minor in history so yeah i like like um like mark is saying i i've lost hours of my life to you know reading real history and fake history <laughs> so you know um but but that to me is is uh, for me again it's it's not for every reader but that's the flavor for me that really makes a book um besides the characters Character development, if you have world building and character development, you have me. If you have those two things in concert, um, there's very little you can do to to not make me like your book, right? Um, you know, we, you know, um, 
we all like, uh, you know, not should say we all, I'm not speaking for everyone. A, a, a lot of people like the, you know, the the big battle scenes or magical battle scenes and all that stuff. And, and I think the action set pieces are great and they also are are wonderful. But but for me, if you have um, those other two elements, if you, I've read books that have no, absolutely virtually no fighting or battle scenes whatsoever, um, you know, Name of the Wind, uh, Patrick Rothfuss comes to mind where you know um it, it, you know that there's a distinct absence of that stuff but the book is just phenomenal and you know um so um you know and of course i've read books that are predominantly uh mainly action like you know the evan winter stuff you know um uh you know rage of dragons and fires of vengeance and that stuff is great and he has great world building and i'm not trying to take anything away from him on that but but you know the focus is obviously the battle scenes but but uh, if I'm going to take have a choice between one or the other, I'll take the world building, you know, first and foremost, and and the character development over, over anything else. So, um, I think I'm a fan of ancient history, but I never studied it deeply. Um, I remember doing at high school um, stuff about Greece and Sparta and ancient Egypt and things like that, and that certainly um, had more of my attention than any type of modern history we would look at. Um, so I guess I, I'm more of a fan of made-up history <laughs> than I am of actual history. Um, but again, having the um, bird's eye view of the overview of, of events and how they um, directly impact the changes um, and and development in world and culture as you go along is um, really insightful um, in what you're doing and what you're creating. I think a lot of the time um, with the world building I come across in, in novels that, that really impacts me is when you'll get a hint or a reference to something and that's all it was. And you can see that it's impacted the story or the people around you, but you don't know the specifics. So it's all off screen. Um, and I think being able to, to delve into off screen events or things that have happened in the past and sprinkle them throughout um, that give weight um, and just, just this a feeling of depth is important um and i think those those writers who have that type of setup in their book tend to um engage me or excite me a little bit more than people who who info dump all the all the stuff and give you pages of of this backstory that may not actually be fully relevant to what's happening with the characters um so i love world building but i also love i love it when it gives me just enough to fire my imagination and make me go, I want to know more. I want to keep reading. Are you going to tell me more about this? Am I going to find out? Um, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> I guess that's me. What about you, Thomas? I'm sorry, as far as world building in general or? Or just history or if you're. Like actual history. Mm -hmm. um, yes, uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of reading uh, history. I'm not, you know, modern history, but mostly ancient history, medieval history, things like that. Um, I like to use that as a uh, treasure trove of things to beg, borrow, and steal from to use as <laughs> plot points and history points in my books. 
because there's nothing quite so fucked up as things that happened in actual real life. Um, and so you can always find a way uh, to, <laughs> there, there's always uh, something interesting that you can find there uh, in actual history that will allow you to uh, make your story more interesting, I think, um, if, you, if you look far enough for it. But uh, uh, it also gives you a good uh, litmus test as to how realistic your own stuff is. If, uh, if the things that you're talking about your, happening in your kingdom are comparative to things that have happened in things that you've seen in history, it can help ground you in a, a sense of, of realism as much as you can have a sense of realism and fantasy, obviously. Um, but that's, that's a big part of it is making the fantastical seem real, seem realistic, seem like it could actually be happening. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, definitely history in, in and of itself is a big impact on that in my stories. You were going to say I something, think, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, it really helps. It, things don't happen in a vacuum. Um, and I think it's important to remember that when writing and world building. So things are happening to your characters or experiencing stuff, but there's all, always wider world events going on or having happened to influence what's happening there. Um, and I just think it adds, it adds depth and flavor to story if those types of things are reflected in, in the events that are moving characters. Um, so, you know, being able to beg, borrow, or steal from real-world events, or even having an understanding of how things in the in the past have affected um, the rest of the world um, today, still um, is really it can be quite insightful um, in how to uh, demonstrate or um, or have characters respond or um, experience stuff happening around them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, what I love about books, especially if books have like a, a, a macro um, whereby the the characters are on this micro level, but they are influencing things on a macro level. Um, you know, that, that that is what I what I crave um, in fantasy that the characters themselves, um, you know, they they may or may not think that they're important. But they don't realize how important and influential they are on the greater story, and um, you know that's that's definitely and and speaking to when it comes to history, speaking to things that are compelling themes that you know I know for me I write about things that um, a lot of them are unpleasant themes, but you know again things like you know racism, colonialism, misogyny, religious intolerance, you know homophobia, things like that, but things that have confounded us through the centuries. These, these aren't, you know, these are new problems. These are just problems that, you know, um, have, have continued and and we have issues solved them. But I love to see characters that they're grappling with these problems on a micro level, but then on a macro level, they don't realize how interconnected they are to, to, these, to these larger issues. And, um, you know, but the one thing I've heard about both your books consistently is that, um, you know, you're also not, not shy in tackling, you know, difficult themes. So can you talk about some of the themes that you, you discuss in your books? 
Sorry, without spoilers, sorry. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the, and this is one I'm a little bit, I, I do have a little bit of concern moving forward with this one, is that there is slavery involved in specific cultures in my world. Um, one particular um, culture is a non-human culture that's kind of at war with humanity and they will enslave humans. But there is also a um, another culture that's very um, um, xenophobic, I guess is the right word. And um, while their port cities are open to people from other cultures coming in, if you leave the city walls and a court, you're basically enslaved. Um, so I'm a little, you know, I, it's not something that I've experienced myself. I can only uh, draw on historical references, um, but it is something that will be um, addressed only in book two or looked at. Um, and it's not me trying to appropriate appropriate any um, people's um, experiences. Um, it's just a reflection of things that have happened in human culture and and as enlightened as humanity is on this world because i've gone to great lengths to remove homophobia from it to remove um any type of sexism um and make it an equal playing field um and basically you know it, it's traditionally the firstborn will inherit in uh noble houses but it doesn't matter if you're male or female it's it's irrelevant um so but there was one thing that you know that i have kept is, is slavery um it's referenced in book one um and it's not something that our characters have ever experienced um, in, where, in where they grew up. Um, so it's a bit of a shock to them when they come across it. Um, but that will be looked at more in book two. Um, I know it's it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. I hope I'm respectful with it but basically it, it, I, I the way i approach everything again it was the the organic world building it's just it's what feels logical i guess to me um uh, and there will be there are people who and a great deal of the world who doesn't um approve of slavery um so that will be reflected as well thomas um, yeah, as far as uh, dark themes, yeah, I definitely delve into some of those. Uh, one of the benefits of having a, a large world is you have a lot of different cultures to play with. Um, uh, but I, I haven't tackled too much of the, the heavy cultural issues, like like cultural conflicts um, in book one. Uh, in in uh, the book two I'm working on, I delve more into that. Um, the how the people who have magic are treated differently in different cultures uh, versus one another, some where they are embraced, some where they are tolerated, some where you can buy your way into favor and the rest of them get arrested. <laughs> some of them where they're oppressed or even exterminated. Um, so I do, I, I am working in, in my current work in progress in delving into more of the dark aspects of that where, um, entire groups of people are being targeted in that way. So um, 
those are some of the darker aspects. I mean, in the in in We Break Mortals, it's uh, it's more the individual characters' conflicts with each other, uh, characters being predisposed to hating what each other are and what they represent. One of the characters is a person who tracks down uh, and and captures, you know, criminal magic magic users, basically criminal sorcerers. Um, and he, he is specifically, he's basically like a, a, a medieval version of a homicide detective. Because in my world, it's a medieval world, but they have like sort of uh, magic CSI type tools that they can use to you know, track these people. And he exclusively deals with murders. So all he, his focus is on these people that do these terrible things. And so in his mind, in his eyes, all of them are awful because everything he sees all day long is just the awfulest stuff that the awfulest among them have done. And then one of my other characters is an actual magic user, not like a murderer, but like a thief, you know, person who was raised on the streets and things like that. And, and she has been hunted by people like him, the, the low level people like him who chase people like her and they treat her the, the society in general treats her the same way they treat these murderers in a lot of respects. Like a lot of the punishments are the same regardless of the crime, as long as you're of this uh, group of people who has the, the magic powers. And so it's a, a conflict of how he sees her and how she sees him uh, or, or what each other represent and, and how they, and they, they have to, uh, when, when they ultimately collide, they have to deal with that and come to terms with who each other are. So it's not so much uh, uh, them, them interacting with society or pressing against society. It's more like what society has programmed in and what their experiences in society have programmed into them coming forward when they butt against each other. And of course, um, yeah, uh, Thomas just <laughs> reminded me. So I've got also got um, magic users in my world. Um, so there was uh, the conceit in my story is that uh, 3,000 years ago, there was a race of magic users uh, known as the Sarin or Summoners. And they get a um, almost like a holographic tattoo appears on their hand from using this type of magic or being having the ability to summon um, kind of elementals or elemental forces um, and they caused or a war between the summoners caused um, the sundering which um, destroyed the civilization they'd built and it took a long time um, once they had started summoning demons to uh, kill all the demons off and since the um, that time anyone who was born with the mark of the summoner or on whom it appears later in life are executed like there's no whistle butts, it's just it's done. And you can't hide it because it's this hologram that appears <laughs> on above your above your um the back of your palm of the palm of your hand. Um so one of the things that is to varying degrees um more strictly enforced is when you greet people, you show the part of the your hand. Um so if you've got gloves have got um flaps built into them, including gauntlets that you have to lift so you can show. Um, so there is, I, I suppose, um, there's that aspect um, that anybody who it appears on is killed. Um, the magic users who are left who don't have the ability to summon um, and don't have that are 
trusted uh, are not uh, uh, there's an uneasy um, I guess status quo in the world some people trust them more than other cultures um, the rest of the, the of um, the themes I guess are that I wanted to bring up as well is there is no well outside of Amaria who puts everyone in slavery there is no real racism it's more um, it's more um, the people from the realm of Aldania will not trust the people from the realm of um, Hetar because they're they border and they've got a history of like fights and then there are you know so it's more a nationhood of um, uh, prejudice as opposed to racial prejudice that mm. appears um, in my world. Well, I'm sure you've both you know handled them since have handled those issues quite sensitively and appropriately and you know um i don't doubt that especially based on the reviews i read of your books that you know you do a very adept job at, at handling those difficult topics um i was just curious regarding that so did those themes come up because they were things that were near and dear to you in general just even if you hadn't experienced them yourself that you know, um, for whatever reason, they were they had a personal attachment to you, something you particularly abhor, or something you felt was you know the society societal ill that you know really affected you, or like what what I know for me, uh, most of the stuff I I write about and talk about has either affected me personally or has affected me uh, friends or family or or things that you know are just part of my moral compass that really um, you know I feel that. That need to be spoken about so was it something those difficult themes in your book did you did you tackle it because it was something um more personal if you don't mind asking without you know not asking um, you I, I don't know uh i don't know if it was if it was directly personal i would say but i i um categorically uh have a uh great dislike to what i perceive as injustice that i see anyone having to experience I get a very visceral anger response from seeing uh, people, you know, uh, who, who are put in positions where they have to suffer needlessly um, and 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 unjustly. And I don't. I just don't, naturally uh, don't like that. I don't. I don't have any that I know of direct, you know, personal experience dealing with those issues on a on a personal level, you know. Uh, uh, but I have, I have seen those play out both in real life and in, in, uh, uh, media that I've consumed over the years. And, and, uh, and, and it's just something that I, I, I like to fight against. I like to, um, expose and defeat injustice. And, and obviously there's lots of injustice in a lot of the cultures in the world I create, but I put those there so that I can show people overcoming the injustice. I put those conflicts in there so I can show people uh, able to overcome their own prejudices and come come together uh, like that. Um, like like what Mark had said, I, I mostly don't have uh, a, a lot of uh, racial prejudices as we experience them in our world. Um, it's more cultural and nation state prejudices against other. <clears throat> excuse me, against other cultures and nations, things like that. Um, also, there, there's not as much uh, overt 
misogyny, homophobia, anything like that. I try not to include that in my story. I kind of have a world where it's just uh, assumed that those things are kind of treated as normal. Those things are just kind of parts of, of how the world is. Um, and so, um, so those issues I don't have to, I don't tackle as much head on because I have a world with it that doesn't have those specific conflicts. Obviously there will be cultures that discount what a woman has to say, uh, when they shouldn't. And those are things that will be tackled in stories and things like that. But in general, um, that is not something that occurs because the in in most of the places that exist there's there's not as so much heavier weight given to the, the words of a man over a woman as what we experience a lot of the time in our world yeah um one of the things um in my world building that i wanted to reflect in story is the lack of of um homophobia um all sexism um it and it's not even in a way where it's a thing it just is like homosexual relationships are, are a thing it's like it, people don't look it's not a cause for staring or yeah. excitement or even pointing out it's it's the the shit's creek approach where yeah it just, it just everything happens and it just happens and nobody it's not a big deal to anybody it's just is yeah yeah um one of my favorite writers um mark barnes who i mentioned earlier he himself personally is a vegan and he reflects that in all of his books so whenever he talks about writing or talks about food in his writing the food is vegan writing and it's just is no big deal is made out of it is no like this is because x y and z it just is and that was one of the things i was like you know what <laughs> that's what i want in my book it's um there is no homophobia homosexuality is a thing it just is um there is no sexism men or women could do whatever they want it just is it's not a thing uh same with race or color of skin it just is the only people who make it a big deal are one particular group of people but they're a particularly arrogant group and um it's reflected in their cultural history um but it's a large place as well so um this world that i've created so in um percentage wise they are a small percent of people um that was that was really important to me that i reflect that in my book, I didn't want it to be politicized or, or or anything like that. It just was. It just is. And, and the rest is here. It's such a fascinating, fascinating discussion. I forgot to say hello. Hello, everyone. It's a great guy. Hey, Andreas. Thanks so much. Oh, oh, love advice. Oh, wonderful. And the Shit's Creek approach. Yes. <laughs> I think we. I think we need. Um, and this is my opinion as a right obviously i think we need both i think we need um those books that um depict um those issues as being just as you said the, the shit's creek approach i think you need books that kind of it's a bit more in your face and tackle those things head on um i think we need me both and there's room in literature obviously for for all kinds of books yeah as there, there are plenty yeah i agree with you i think i think you need every every angle 
of of everything and there are plenty that do do that and they're and do it fantastically um but yeah it's it's uh it's good to choose your conflicts that you want to portray because um even if you have many different kinds of intercultural interpersonal conflicts and prejudices to look at um it's good to to settle on the ones that you and the ones that you can do best so you can focus on those um because one thing you don't want to run into um which it is easy to do in epic fantasy because you're writing about so much already is to run the risk of diluting um up the approaching some of these conflicts and not rendering them the, the the just amount of attention that they deserve and and uh i i think i i think some stories do focus on it specifically um and do an amazing job uh, by focusing on it and so with uh when it comes to your own writing, I, I, I find it, it's best to select the conflicts that you and prejudices that you want to focus on and try to do those really, really well. Um, because the, the one thing that I, I didn't want to do was just wa wash over, brush over some of these deep types of conflicts and not give them the, uh, the page time and the, the, uh, weight that they deserve. I think um, for myself, um, it's also a reflection of my own personal experience. Um, I am gay, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the closet by any stretch, but I grew up in the 80s and certainly in Sydney in the 80s, it was something, and I'm sure in other places as well, it was never, you didn't really advertise it. Um, so it was never something that uh, I had experience um, advertising or even um, outside of things like Mardi Gras marching for, um, for equal rights or equality. Um, and the way I wanted to reflect Oh, my idea of a society or what I would like in my writing was to be it's here and it's not a it's not a thing um, so I think that's one of the reasons I tackled my tackled that in my books that way um, and certainly reading some of um, the uh, science fiction or space opera that I read um, I was really um, taken by how some of these writers were um, portraying uh, equality between the sexes. And that was kind of like, yeah, that's, I'd like to portray that as well. That's certainly, cause it's never been a thing for me in my own life. Um, I have very strong female figures in my family, um, friends who I uh, worked with. So it's never been something that um, I've been hugely exposed to. Um, sexism um so it just became a reflection um of how how i would then portray it um in my my work yeah fascinating it's fascinating thanks for sharing guys that's that's been uh and just it just makes me want to read your books even more just you know uh listening to you to you both talk about about uh, what they are, and they're already high in my TBR. So, um, you know, I'm not really, I'm really even more stoked 
to to go click that buy button on Amazon. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and with the with the iceberg approach, you know, you you mentioned earlier about the reader only sees a portion of what the of what all the world building that happens behind the scenes. Is it ever depressing to not have the reader see everything? Does it? Do you want to just give it to them just to say, here, just look at all the stuff I've worked on, look how cool it is? Do you ever want to kind of geek out with your readers? Is that ever disappointing to not share everything you've worked on with us? Well, geek out with them, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't feel a compulsion to, like, it's a mixture of, of like, hey, look what I did versus, oh, God, don't look at all the time I spent doing all of this, please. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit of both. But, um, um, it's, it's, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to discuss things like that uh, and, and, and go over them and stuff. But I, I don't feel compelled to uh, divulge everything and say, no, you have to look at what I did. Um, I, I like to put up little, little things. I, I have a lot of stuff and I've been piecemeal, you know, putting some of it up on my website just for people who want to go on and, and uh, see some like lists of things or whatnot. And I'm periodically adding to that from my, you know, lore dictionaries and whatnot. Um, but it's more just like for, for people who want to dive deeper into what they're looking at and get a good look at it. I am. Um... When I have my beta readers talk to me about stuff <laughs> that I've written, it becomes a thing then where it's like, oh, did you notice this? And if you notice that, do you know what that means? <laughs> and I have to hold myself back. So it, it does move in, sometimes move into the to the realm of, well, this will be a spoiler if you're able to understand what's gone on before or these references, then you know, in my head, it logically moves to this. I mean, I suppose it's not always clear to everybody. They don't always see the big picture, but some people pick stuff up um, and just make those intuitive leaps. And that's always exciting. And I want to talk to them more. And then it's like, no, 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 I can't tell you more. You have, I want you to read and find out. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, anybody who wants to talk to me about the world or the world building, you know, send me a message. <laughs> Find it on my on my website as they contact me, um, or on Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Happy to talk about world building anytime. I love it. Um, but for the for this book, what is the stuff that I've done? A lot of it, um, all the relevant parts are going to be revealed as we as we move along. Yeah, I think for me. Um... You know, and I, I agree with you both. Like, and I love talking about world building. I love when, if, you know, if and when, and it, it does happen periodically that, um, you know, people read the book, come up with theories. I think this is what that means. And you're like, <laughs> if only you knew, right? And, um, you know, you, you you know, not without trying to string people along, you know, I, I, I love the fact that I feel about my writing. I'm sure you both may feel about, about your writing in terms of parts of it that, um, there is that element of of it's a nice thing to know that only you hold all the answers, and people are theorizing about you know well this the reason why this happened and and you're like oh no you don't know what you're in for next right and uh, that's very much how I feel about about my the series I'm writing now is that you know it isn't really until the next book the third by third book called Lord and King that people are even going to have really a clue 
about what's really going on. And then they're going to be like, I hope they're going to be like, you know, what is going on here when they read, you know, the end of the book. And then that will just, you know, lead to more speculation. And and, and I, I love um, the thing about writing fancy. One of the things I love is that, and the immersive world building and all that is you can get completely lost in it, right? Completely lost in, and lost in, you know, your these theories and, and, and ideas, these suppositions about, you know, what this character's backstory is or what this person, why they did that, what that's going to mean for the future. You know, do people try and predict things, you know, you, 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 some of the biggest, um, you know, fantasy books in the last, you know, few decades, the biggest fantasy series of the Game of Thrones of the world. Like, you know, there's all these theories, you know, who is this person's father, who is this person's mother, what's their origin, what's their lineage, you know, what kind of magic can they actually use to what degree? Like, that stuff just makes it just it just fuels and funnels this this great discussion about 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 the genre, right? And and I just love that stuff. And you know, so for me, you know, when I read your books, I'll be trying to figure out, okay, I think that's what it means, and I'll write down my little theory. And then when say it doesn't come out to a subgroup, I'll be like, yes, I was right, right? So you know, or oh man, I was wrong. I got that. I totally messed it up. So that's that's part of the stuff that I love about about reading. Uh, fantasy so yeah 100% um all the uh, I used to work in a genre specialist fantasy bookshop or fantasy science fiction's bookshop and the conversations that we staff members and some of the customers as well would have about uh, the latest George R. R. Martin book when it had been released and who could possibly be Jon Snow's father or, you know, what, all this sort of stuff. And the the theories that we were pulling out, theories for Game of Thrones, theories for the Malazan stuff as well, and what does it mean? And yeah, they're a lot of fun, a lot of fun to have. Um, I have one particular... Um, um, beta reader <laughs> discussions with about one character and she is convinced she knows this character inside out and when i would suggest oh well this is you know it's going to head in this direction for him no 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 he would never do that there's no way he couldn't do that it couldn't possibly happen and i'm like hold on <laughs> this is my character i know this character <laughs> so it's almost like the character has become hers to a degree or she's become attached and that's really exciting as well but i find it really really interesting <laughs> when they come up and start telling you know that character wouldn't do this i'm like mm, pretty sure he would <laughs> but okay and we we can confirm that lana from lauren lullabies does annotate her books yeah we've we've seen the proof <laughs> and she just bought she bought a book i think she said she just clicked buy on amazon and on uh your book so lana's annotation is next level well we've had a sneak oh out. yeah it's 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 yeah, it's yeah watch watch that episode of uh of uh there's a discussion about zamil Akhtar's uh books and with uh with steve lana uh taylor from maybe between the pages zamil myself and wow you you have to check out you have to check out Lana's annotation system. It is, it is completely like Steve says. It's next level. It's so intricate. It's yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go find that now. <laughs> I, I definitely like to lead people along uh, on on theories and things like that of how characters will meet, if characters will meet, what their interactions will be like, what things are going to happen. Um, 
down the road. I do like to put in hidden foreshadowing, like not the, not even the kind of foreshadowing, like regular foreshadowing. I like to put into to you know build up to reveals and things. But I also like to put in like hidden in plain sight, giving things away uh, uh, to see if people will notice or or have ideas about them. Or if they'll just think, oh, this is just them talking about some silly anecdotal thing from history. Uh, You know, this is just for them to make chit chat. This is, you know, or if they'll see, oh, maybe this is important. Um, I even uh, have a hint hidden in there about some major thing that will be revealed probably seven books down the road in the series. Um, so I don't know if anybody will notice that, but I did put something like that in there so that they can refer back to that moment from book one uh, when they get to that point and be like, "Oh, okay." I'll be digging now. Okay, I'm gonna invite. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Be the crack, I'll be the code cracker. I'm determined now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get it. I, I do lots of little <laughs> fun little things uh, for in case anybody ever does a reread, uh, so that when they they. You know, yeah, some little throwaway lines. Be like, yeah. "Oh my God, that's you know." That's what that meant. Yeah, yeah. that one line yeah. gave away the whole, the whole book. And Mark, I you do the same thing. I, I do the time. exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just uh, finished a novella that um, will be coming out in May. Um, uh, giveaway to newsletter subscribers, and my <laughs> my editor had a couple of gasp moments. It's actually set way before blood of the spear but it is really connected and there is a character from blood of the spear who this is about and um yeah there was some even as i was writing things started it's that i don't know if you guys experienced this but i had um written a draft of blood of the spear and i was going through a second draft and i decided to change a bit character um towards the end from one thing to another and as soon as i changed it all these connection points just appeared across the entire story that was like my subconscious had already put them there and i just hadn't consciously put the right part in i love and when i was yeah it's amazing i was just like it still blows my mind to this day how it just all connected and grew and it actually made the story like bigger and um, writing this novella, um, <laughs> it's just, I basically, yeah, there's a whole heap of stuff that happened in it that is like, oh, okay, so that's how that happened. Um, or this led to that. Oh, okay, I can see these points in the timeline that are just like, you know, firing up as I was writing this stuff that I hadn't planned beforehand. It just, it just, happened and then you get to the end part and like my editor said she had her gas her gasp moment when she got to the end it was like yes <laughs> so yeah good stuff and uh, lana said we we readers do become attached to characters they start out as yours but then we own them they become a fun i i do yeah. love how people develop uh, a, a favorite character uh and it's so interesting to see which one it is because uh mm different people will have different favorite characters depending on how many characters you have and it's always fun to see where where they end up and the rest says uh, it's rare for a reader viewer to have who who is in the exact same headspace as the creator which is appreciated when you deal with the latest work by david lynch or grant morrison <laughs> and have someone who can explain which is a great point yes very much so 
Especially, you know, the two great examples. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have you, have either of you, uh, uh, you may have experienced this probably or not. I know for me, um, there were a couple of characters that, um, going back to what some of the questions are, that frankly, um, you know, they, their agency just took over and they had more minor roles initially, the way I planned them, but they just kept screaming for more, more, more book time. And I, and I felt compelled to give it to them because, and then as they gave them more book time, more readers began to like, one character particularly, particularly in my books, Lysi, a mage, she just kept screaming at me like, I need to partially take this thing over. And, you know, the readers resp also responded. And when I started to give them agency, it's just, and she's become a, a favorite. This uh, is a real phenomenon. I experienced yeah. this as well. Um, way, way back, uh, this book was just like in its infancy was just one, one character point of view. And, uh, and then there was another side character who occasionally got little bits of point of view. Um, and then another character that was basically just a throwaway character. Um, but the bit character, the side character ended up demanding to be a point of view character, uh, because they have a very unique voice, uh, and, and are, out of the the favorite characters people have told me about, this is the one that recurs the most. Um, so they get a lot of uh, page room, and luckily they get a lot of page room in the next book. Um, but then there's another character who began as basically a red shirt uh, in it in the infancy of the story. They were a red shirt that doesn't even show up until like the, the next to last chapter, and they you know um, they were just like a. a, a not even they didn't really have a have a name or anything um and but some part of me like they're the personality that came out for them in that little tiny moment that they were um in the book uh ballooned into this giant character they ended up becoming a main point of view character in the story um and and so now they're one of the the big three main characters um, I had a character, <laughs> I was about five pages, five pages, five chapters into uh, my first draft, second draft, and this character just stood up in my mind, fully formed, I knew everything about them, and they were like, um, yeah, I think you've forgotten to put me in, and I had to go back <laughs> and start from the beginning and weave this character in the book, and he fit perfectly, um, like, it was not hard at all to do. Um, and yeah, so I had that happen and that was quite startling. <laughs> it was fun. It's it amazing like, when wow. it works out. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing uh, how these little things that will spontaneously pop out of nowhere will end up, you know, making your story, you know, yeah. and, and how those characters can take over and the things that they do uh, uh, will end up making the story so much better, making the conflicts so much better, making the emotion so much stronger, like from something that was just a spontaneous little spark thought, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's so fun to have happen. It just, it, it, it feels like it's not even you writing it yes. at that point. It really feels like it's just, yeah. you know, taking over, uh, yourself, you know, a big twist, a big twist in, the book uh, was a character who was just supposed to be an ally that like one day I spontaneously thought, what if this person's just a tr total traitor? 
I didn't even think about why they would be a trader. You know, this is ba- way back when I was first writing you know, early drafts. And just that thought out of nowhere made me retroactively go back through the story and be like, what would it mean for them to be? And where would that come from? And what, and, and, you know, just that one little thought, you know, rewrote a big chunk of the story. And Hmm. it's just so fascinating when that happens. And I can relate to Kay's hidden shelves comment here a little, a little too much. I always treated, I always try to keep an eye out for hidden details and and they usually go over my head anyway. (laughs) I was, someone always tells me, did, did you catch this? And did you catch that? I was like, oh, I missed that. I <laughs> have to go back and try and find it. No, I, I'm like that as well when I read stuff the first time around. It's like, mm, yeah, I didn't catch those things. Go back and be like, how did I miss that? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I don't even catch the kind of stuff that I write into my own stories. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, Lana says, I love how some of these characters jump out and say, Oi, mate, I need to be here and write themselves into the story. Yeah, that was. Characters. That was, yeah, yeah, really interesting experience to have. It was fantastic, really good, um, but it was very startling. I, I think something we, we talk about a lot, we've mentioned several times on page chewing, and Steve and I have had discussions about it, is that, you know, we as writers, obviously, we're, we're accountable for what we write. However, you know, we don't own the books the minute it's published. It becomes the readers, their interpretations, their, you know, their thought process about what this character, who this person is and what they mean. And, and it's just so fascinating. And it's all very individual uh, to, the, to the reader, right? And, and, you know, and sometimes that's, you know, you, you can forget, right? Wait a minute. I didn't mean you to think that way about that character or see that inside i didn't that's not how i wrote them but it doesn't matter what you know it it's 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 up to the reader right and that's also i think for me i'm not sure how you two feel that's also been a really unique experience in the whole authorship um thing that you know when people tell me oh no you know that this this is what that that character is all about this is their character traits and this is why they think that way and this is why they're doing that i'm like but i didn't write him that way but but readers fill in the blanks yeah they yeah it's uh uh no reader experience of a book is identical to another's because it's 100 your 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 story is collaborating with their imagination to make a complete tale and so everyone's imagination everyone's going to bring their own things that they've experienced their own thoughts their own you know set of other characters they've experienced in other books and movies and, and people that they've met or known in their lives. And they're going to bring all of that to you, that in their mind to, to your story. And so that's going to overlay on, on the words you wrote. So um, that was one of the most interesting things I discovered, you know, a, a few years back, I realized that like, no, no person is going to experience your book the same as any other person is. They're all going to see it a little bit differently, uh, way way more so than like movies and TV. I mean, they're they're going to be they're constructing the architecture in their minds. When you describe a building, they're the one who decides what it looks like. When you describe a person, they're the one who decides what it looks like to them, what that person looks like, how that person behaves, what their mannerisms are. You know, based on the little information you give them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, a reader. Give give characters backstory that's not even there. 
like they'll start to think back of other little, you know, based on the anecdotes that you give them, they might go go back and and think of their own, you know, their own fanfic in their own head of what other things might have happened in this character's life based on their experiences. And it's just a super cool thing to realize that, that you're a part of that, that you're, you're, you're getting in tune with somebody's imagination directly to like tell a story. Hmm. How often does a reader's feedback like that? Like just somebody has a reaction to a certain character, whether it's good or bad, or they have certain ideas for a character. How often does that, when you hear that, how often does that change what you planned for the character in the story? Does it ever change your plans or what you, uh, what you planned for that character? It hasn't yet for me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I'm not sure that I, well, I probably could, but in, in my he- head, I'm not sure that I had that much wiggle room to mm. dramatically change where, well, I don't, well, I don't know the details of every action or every event that's going to happen to them. I know the, the midpoints and the end point of where they're headed. Um, and there are specific paths that each character needs to take. Um, and they will, they will respond in specific ways to these paths to get them out the other end where I have seen them going. Um, so, and, and to be completely honest with you, nothing so far has been that far from what I've hmm. envisioned. It may not be exactly the same, but it's not that far off. So, uh, so far, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think because again, you know, I, I plan things so far in advance, and there's all the, the the plot threads, major and minor, are pretty well mapped out. Like as Mark said, with very little wiggle room to to deviate from that. I don't find, but, but what I do find though is. There's times when I've thought about doing it. There's times when I've actually entertained because people have been said so strongly, so stridently about certain things. They'd be like, "What? You know, could I really change that and make it?" And then, you know, usually I go, "No." But it just goes to show you how um, the readers' opinions can potentially impact, um, you know, what 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 you might be writing. Um, you know, I, I always feel like writers write their books for themselves in a way. And, and of course, they're writing to a target audience, but we're writing the stories we want to write, especially, you know, I'd like to think uh, indie writers, you know, we write, we write what, what you know, essentially, um, you know, those are the stories that are in our heads exactly the way we want to write them, right? Without, and while we have, oh, we all have editors and beta readers and things like that, that can influence us, I think we, because we have such a, 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 a wider birth to, you know, write those stories, whereas perhaps in traditional publishing, there's a bit more, you know, uh, when it comes to contractual things and editing requirements that, you know, you may be a bit more, um, I don't want to say hamstrung, but you may be a bit more constrained. Um, you know, I, I, what I love about being an indie writer is that, yeah, I just write what I want to write, man. And I, I don't worry too much about other than editing, you know, I don't, I don't worry too much about, about the rest, but yeah, there have been times when, you know, and, and, and it's more a credit to the readers that, the readers, you know, credit to them that they've come up with these ideas that are fascinating. I'm like, hmm, maybe that's something I should include in the future book. How can I give that person credit for that later down the road? And say, oh, well, maybe the acknowledgements, you know, it's because of that that fan mail that I got that, you know, I wrote a book just based on, you know, but but yeah, it's uh, it, it is interesting how 
um, again, you know, we write these books and then the readers read them and then you get that feedback and that two-way feedback uh, is, 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 is great to get as well. And, you know, sometimes they can potentially at least have you thinking about, you know, doing that stuff. So. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't had anything uh, change anything. Um, it's, it's mostly just been very validating when people really like the thing that happens to be the thing that they're going to get a lot more of <laughs> in the story and the characters that they're going to get a lot more of. Um, um, there, there was... I guess there was one thing that was that was changed because of beta reading, but not from an actual uh, that that was during the developmental process. So there was something that was changed. Um, uh, one big thing about a character was changed in that process, but that was prior to publication. No, nothing after that. Uh, after people have seen the story uh, and, and said, "I hope this happens," nothing like that is affected where where things are going to go it's more of just like tee hee hee just you wait then <laughs> or or no comment <laughs> that famous read and find out <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i mean I've, I've got a lot of you know from beta readers and and uh you know and, and editor like um are you sure you want to do this <laughs> i've gotten a lot of those sure you want you know um and and uh you know because this is a terrific you know like because i i'm i'm known for killing a lot of characters um i might get a bad rap from that because i also am known for naming a lot of characters and so to, like i i like to name my red shirts in the story so that they you know if they're interacting in any way i like to make sure they have have a name so that people might get an artificial impression of of how many main characters or primary side characters you know that are, are perishing in the course of a story but um uh yeah you know i i just tell them yes i'm sure this side character is you know, this is where they go. Um, and uh, it'll just uh, be a challenge for me to make another equally as interesting side character next time in the next book, you know, or, or, or wherever you want to go. It's a, uh, you know, so I have gotten some feedback like that. Are you sure? Are you sure you wanted to do that right there? And I'm like, yep, afraid so. Yeah, it's so funny because um, you know, you know, we um, when you look at series, I hate to keep picking on George, the great George R. R. Martin, but when you look at series like like A Song of Ice and Fire, that you know, um, it was game changing the way he um, you know killed off his darlings, right? And or our darlings, should I say? Maybe they may or may not have the darlings to him, but but and and I think it's a that, lot more jarring too. Just to point out briefly, it's a lot more jarring in the book than it is on the TV show for, the, for yes. people who haven't read the book. Um, because in the book, he is a point of view character. Yes, exactly. Who exactly. is the world is experienced through his eyes, and to have a character like that, I, like like in the Red Wedding when Rob Stark yeah. perishes, um, he's not a point of view character. Yeah. So he's just somebody else is watching him get killed. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot more jarring even, which was very innovative, in my opinion, for George R. R. Martin. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to point out that no, how, no. How, exactly how 
wild that was when I first read that. No, awesome. And I, I totally agree. Thanks for that. And and whether it's it's Rob or Caitlin Stark or Jon Snow, where you name your character, um, you know, what he did, obviously was starting off with Ned, um, what what George R. R. Martin did was give you that and finally give you that, I think that sense of heightened insecurity and tension that everybody really deep down wants in a book that, you know, once Ned, once Ned got his cut, got beheaded, well, no one is safe. He was, he's not joking. Like there's, 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 there's books where you feel, okay, the author's trying to create a sense of no one's safe, but George R. Martin did it. No one is safe. I will kill anybody. It doesn't matter. And it worked to perfection because if you notice in book two and even season two of the show, no other major character dies that entire season. People don't realize all of season two and most of season three, nobody else major or important dies, yet they still have that idea in their head just from what happened to Ned has just carried over and followed them this whole way. Um, That's how powerful that level of raising the stakes can be. Yeah, it's genius. And, 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 um, you know, obviously I'm looking forward to reading both of your books you know, and and I I can't wait to see what you do and how you handle, you know, your your major characters and you know um, how how their paths, you know, what their paths, especially over the course of a series, right? Because you know, uh, a character may be alive in this book, but they may not be alive in you know by the end of the next one, and that's that's the beauty of series too. Writing blurbs uh, becomes increasingly difficult the further a series goes on. Yeah, you have to have that appropriate. Make sure not to mention a lot of names. (laughs) Yeah, that ambiguity about you know not mentioning, or you you give people a red herring. It makes it seem like someone's going to make it through, but really they they don't if you write the blurb well enough. So, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks you guys for Mark and Thomas for coming by to chat with us about world building. It's uh, it's a really interesting subject for me because as a reader, it's it's uh, when it's done well, it's it really adds to the experience, the immersion, and the uh, and the story, especially fantasy. So, for anyone who wanted to find you or connect with you, Mark, where's the best place to find you? Uh, best place would be my website, marktimony.com, uh, Twitter, also Mark Timony, or Instagram, Mark Timony, uh, Facebook as well, Mark Timony. Mark, why do you have to make things so complicated? <laughs> I know, right? It's really difficult to find me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Thomas, uh, where's the best place to find you? Um, yeah, I'm at uh, uh, thomashowardreilly.com, uh, and I'm uh, Ornithopteryx on Twitter. Um, those are the two little places where I'm most interactive. I'm also on Instagram as Thomas Howard Riley um, as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, those are the, the primary ways to get in touch with me. Uh, apologies again for the voice. I know every time, Steve, I'm on a video with you, my voice sounds completely different from the last time. So one of, one of these days, you'll get my real honest-to-God voice, I swear. I, I can take a hint, Thomas. I... <laughs> <laughs> on both, of your, uh, both of your websites are in the description already, so I'll add the, uh, the Twitter stuff. And PL, of course, where's the place to, best place to find you and, and order your, uh, your new book? Uh, you know, I'm I'm all over Twitter. I think people know that. Um, you know the website www.plstuart.com. Um, and on Twitter, it's at plstuartwrites. Same on Facebook. Uh, same on Instagram with the dots. And you know, so um, but the you know best place to get hold of me is is Twitter. Send me a DM. My DMs are open for writing related business. You want to talk fantasy or things like that. So 
I, I love engaging with uh, creatives and there's so many great people writing community. And that's what I love about doing the show and featuring fantastic authors and people such as, as Thomas and Mark. So, yeah. I just love getting to talk to you guys, man. Get to see you guys faces in person and whatnot. Well, digitally in person. Yeah. <laughs> that's a real treat. That's a real treat. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's still Thank a, you so much fun. for having me. It's, it's just still every time we do this, it's amazing to me. We can connect with people from all around the world and talk about something like, you know, fantasy or books or writing or world. You know, it's it's amazing. We can even do this. So thank you guys for for taking the time to uh, to chat with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and my cat. Thanks, Penelope <laughs> is glad that you had me as well. So you can see me see her on video. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. It was amazing. Thank you. It was an honor. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.